We'll be reading from Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It's a passage of scripture, an event that we've looked at before. I want to revisit that this morning. Who can predict the difference that a day could bring in someone's life? The day starts out ordinary, just like any other day. But we realize an encounter with Jesus changes everything. We want to read about a man who had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And not only was his life changed, but the lives of a lot of people would never, ever be the same after what happened that day. Let's look at that because God has something for us to hear from this passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 2 Beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum. And after some days it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. No, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified, God saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of Jesus Christ. We thank you. That power is still available today. And Father, we all come with with a need. We all have a need for a touch from Jesus. Father, there's some that may need a touch of forgiveness, a touch of comfort. Some may need a touch of a challenge or a confrontation. But Father, we all need to hear from you today. So we ask that you would take full control of this service. Speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. That day in Capernaum started out like any other day, I'm sure. But it says after some days, it was noised or rumored that he was in the house. Talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus came to town. And somebody found out where he was and it was rumored or talked about Jesus is in that house. 
That house right there, that's where Jesus is. People found out that Jesus was in the house, and it says they all were gathered together near the door. Now, the thing you have to know about Jewish communities at that time, when you got up in the morning in the regular Jewish community, you opened your door. Everybody opened their door. Anybody was free to come and go. Uh, your house was pretty much part of the street. So therefore, they heard that Jesus was in the house, whatever house that it was, and they began to gather together. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, anytime you see a crowd, sometimes the crowd itself is going to attract a crowd. So more and more people gathered together, and they were all pressed in where you couldn't even get in the door. And then Jesus preached the word to them. Well, it was rumored that Jesus was in the house. Jesus is in town and four men had a plan. See, they had a friend that couldn't walk. And they had a plan, if we can get him from here to there and get him to Jesus, well, then Jesus can do something. And so we know how it turned out. Before the day was over, before all of this is said and done, it says in verse 12, immediately he arose, talking about the man who couldn't walk, had to have four men to carry him. They couldn't even, two on each side, help him to shuffle in. They had to carry him on a bed. And it said he got up and walked and carried his bed to his house. Now, can you imagine somebody who wasn't present, two blocks over, sees him walking, carrying his bed? Well, obviously he was familiar. Capernaum's not a big town. And especially if you have all your doors open to your house, everybody knew everybody's business. And there he was see, seeing the remarkable ability of this man was unmistakable. This man was doing something that was remarkable, that was totally unthinkable, something they never would have predicted. And he's carrying his bed and they're saying, wow, how can you do that? He said, oh man, it's a talent. I have refined this bed-carrying ability. Man, I'm about the best there is to carry a bed. And you say, wait a minute, that's not the way that it happened. That's right. He had a remarkable ability that was unpredictable, that was unimaginable. But the only reason he could carry his bed was because other people invested in his life, time and effort in his life. He could claim no credit, or very little credit. Of course, it was up to him to pick up his bed and follow the direction of Jesus. He had some ability, and he had some credit to do what he could, but how did he get to the point of being able to pick up his bed? He got to that point because somebody invested in his life. Somebody took some time with him. Somebody invested some effort with him, and that's the only reason. And so as we look at our lives the only reason we are where we are today is because somebody invested in us. We can all look at our lives and know that somebody invested some time in us. Then, of course, we look in our country and we realize the people that are well known, known by many, have remarkable abilities, have accomplished a lot of success. But, you know, they're where they are only because a lot of people will never know their names invested in their life. I'm reminded of a little boy, grew up in the 1930s, the 1930s, and this little boy loved Tarzan novels. 
He loved Tarzan novels to the point to where he loved to hang from the trees and yell like Tarzan. Well, this was in the days where still, people still had horses and buggies and so forth. And this kid was in his neighborhood hanging from the trees and just let out a Tarzan yell to the point it was scaring the horses. Scared the drivers, too. He was, he was interrupting what was going on in his neighborhood. I mean, it was a kid swinging from the trees yelling like Tarzan. A little bit later on, he wanted to join the youth group, about 16 years old. They said he was too worldly for the youth group. But somebody invested in this young man. Somebody invested in this young man, and he began to make some changes. And he began to acquire some abilities. And he began to use a God-given gift of his. And this young man, little boy that was swinging from the trees, yelling like Tarzan, became Billy Graham. And only eternity will ever measure what he did in the kingdom work for the gospel of Christ, preached to millions all over the world. How that happened? Somebody invested some time in attention with this young man. Two or three people are named in his biography. We'll, we don't know who they are, but we know who Billy Graham is, don't we? He started from here, and he got to here because somebody invested some time. Well, a little bit more recently, a young man tried out for the varsity team in high school his sophomore year. Coach said he wasn't quite tall enough and put him on the junior varsity team. Sophomore year, junior varsity. Now, to a lot of people, it's like, well, this is where I'll be, but this young man played hard. He played hard, and there was, I'm sure, some coaches on that junior varsity team. Coaches aren't named. I'm sure we could find out who they are. High school coaches, obviously, of course, it's not the coach. It's the junior varsity coach. You know, a lot of times it's the varsity team gets all the attention. Well, this is a junior varsity team. Guys that didn't quite make the cut. Had a coach to work with these guys, but the coach worked with this guy. And the next year, he was on the varsity team. And two or three years later, he was in college. And then several years later, he was in the NBA. And he was called the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan didn't make the cut in his sophomore year. But somebody still invested in him. Coaches still worked with him. You think Michael Jordan was born with all these skills? How did he acquire these skills? Somebody worked with him. Somebody invested some time and effort with him. Now these men invested in the life of the man that was on that bed. Jesus noticed this. It says quite clearly in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, whose faith? Well, there was five men involved, the four on each corner and the one man that was lying on the bed. Now, when it comes to forgiveness of sins, nobody can do that for us. Nobody can do that for us so he saw his faith, and we know that forgiveness of sin only comes through faith and only comes with faith enough to believe he can forgive sins. Jesus saw their faith, but he didn't just say he saw his faith. He said he saw their faith, four more men. You see, these four men had the faith that Jesus 
can do something if we'll just do our part. And because they had faith in Jesus, that motivated them to invest the energy that they had to invest. That motivated them to take the time that they had to take. It wasn't easy going through a crowded street carrying a man on a pallet. It wasn't on a stretcher. It was on a bed. It was on a mat. They had to hold every corner up. You had to, had to hold it level. Had to do your part. Didn't want to dump him out in the dust. Everybody had to do their part. We don't know how long it was, but it was some distance between here and where Jesus was. But they knew if they could just put in their effort, Jesus could do something with their efforts. And you see, when it comes to serving Christ... When it comes to what we're doing as a church, it will make a big difference whether or not we have faith in what Jesus can do. When we have faith in what Jesus can do, we will endure hardship. We will put in the long hours. We will make the investment. We will pay the cost. We will pay the cost for an Awana program or Bible school, to be at church, to take care of Sunday school classes, to to do what we need to do, make an investment, to keep the lights on. Because we know that Jesus can do something here. So what will we do? We'll make sure to make our investment. And they knew that their investment would pay off because they had faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus can do something, they thought. They knew it. So they cared this man. And then they overcame incredible hardship. They got to the crowd, and they couldn't squeeze their way through, and they realized they could go up on the roof. They didn't stop when they got a little bit of hardship. You know, a lot of times we start out serving the Lord, and everything's going like we expected. Come to a little hiccup or a bubble or a little obstacle in the way, and we just wilt. We just give up. Not these guys. Why? Why do they keep on and go to the last measure, above and beyond? Because they knew what Jesus could do. Do we really believe what Jesus could do? Enough to do our part even when it gets tough. What about us? Who invested in us? No matter where we are today, we can all point at people who made investment in our lives. Have we been thankful for them? Have you told them about it? And then again, what investments will we make? and the lives of others around us. You know, we're surrounded by people who are hurting. Now, we can't physically carry these people to Jesus like these men did. But let me tell you what we can do. We can carry the love of Jesus to them. But you know what that means? It means going to where they are. And that takes an investment. That takes an investment in time to go to someone's home or to go to the hospital or go to the nursing home. Now, we mentioned nursing home. People say, ooh, ooh, I, I don't like going to the nursing home. Do you think anybody in the nursing home liked going to the nursing home? You see, in order to share the love of Jesus and to carry Jesus to others, we have to go to where they are. And there are people all around us. This man was not over in another town. He was right where they lived. And right where we live, there are people who are hurting. It may be a physical illness. It may be a, 
a hurt that they've suffered in the past. They may have lost a loved one either now or further back in the past. People need an investment of time. People need somebody who's willing to take the effort to bring the love of Jesus to them. But then there are others around us that just need the encouragement. Billy Graham wasn't sick, but somebody invested in him. Michael Jordan wasn't sick, but somebody invested in him. There's a passage of scripture I want to share with you that the writer of the book of Hebrews spoke to the early church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. We zero in on this passage of scripture for another reason. I'll point that out, but I don't want to dismiss that twice... Twice something else is mentioned. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day is approaching. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love, and watch this, to stir up good works. Let us consider each other to bring out the best in each other. Oh, that's a different frame of mind. A lot of times, folks bring out the worst in each other, right? You know how it goes. Day goes very well, and then somebody just brings out the worst in us. Why can't all people think like we do and do things our way? Why is it they find that last nerve and twang it like a banjo string? Have not figured that out. But a lot of times... Maybe we're that person that brings out the worst in others. But it says we ought to make the investment to stir up good works, to cheer each other on, and to make an investment to bring out the best. And then he says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We read that a lot. That's what this verse usually is used for is be sure and come and be here. But what do we do when we be here? Exhorting one another. That word exhort means to cheer on, to encourage each other. You see, there are people all around us that need the investment. These four men made an investment in the life of this fifth guy on the bed, and it made all the difference in the world. And we don't know what kind of lives will change if we'll make the investment. But now let's look at the boundless measure of Jesus' investment. These men could get him through the streets. These men could get him through the crowd. These men could get him up to the roof and down to Jesus. But there was that part that only Jesus could do, right? Only Jesus can make him walk. And he gave him the ability to walk again. What could be better than this? Something is better than this. Look in verse 5. When he saw their faith, he said, Sons, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. You see, this man had a problem a lot bigger than paralysis. That problem was sin. We all have that problem. If we're breathing, we have a problem with sin. All 
have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in Romans. Every single one of us. We know that by common sense. All of us have sinned. And that sin disqualifies us from heaven. All of us. You see, this man had a problem that all of us have, and that problem was greater than the ability of not being able to walk because our life down here is temporary. Eternal life of our soul is forever. And the problem he had was going to deal with him forever. But he saw their faith. And obviously, based on what we know about the scriptures, this man had faith in Jesus Christ. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this investment goes far beyond the statement of Jesus as just taking the time to say your sins are forgiven you. And do a little homework. And the word forgiven here, of course, the English word is forgiven. And the Greek word is aphiomi. Does not mean a whole lot until you begin to do a little homework and look into another passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, some English translations have remission of sins. Some English translations have forgiveness of sins. But, oh, when you look it up and look at the Greek word, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no aphiomy. Same Greek root word. So Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus knew when he said that, what it would cost to purchase the forgiveness of sins for humanity. It would take the ultimate investment. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission. And Jesus looked at him and said, I'll pay that price. I'll make the investment. You can be forgiven today because I will do that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28 Paul said, shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. The church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Who loved me, don't miss this part, and gave Himself for me. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Your sins are forgiven. That same word is used in the book of Matthew up in the upper room. When Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins the forgiveness of sins you know what greek word is used the same one that he used at that house when he said your sins are forgiven you aphiomi he knew what it cost and he freely offered forgiveness of sin you see that's the ultimate investment because whatever problems i have down here whether it be sickness or grief that's temporary. Whatever trophies I may win and successes I may have and things I may accomplish may even make me famous. That's all temporary. But the soul is eternal. And you see, the ultimate investment 
the one that only Jesus could make was the shedding of blood so the soul could be forgiven. That is the boundless measure of Jesus' investment. He invested in us when he died on the cross. The Bible says very clearly, though, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. But you see, this only comes through faith and knowing Jesus can forgive and we need that forgiveness enough to call on him to forgive us. So I'm going to ask that we prepare for an invitation of him. What about investments? Jesus Christ has made the ultimate investment. That's without question. That's been settled. That's not up for decision this morning. He made the investment of his blood for the remission of sins. But what about us? What are we going to do to respond to what Jesus did? Are you willing to acknowledge sin and ask for that forgiveness? But then let's go a step further. What, what are we doing to invest in the lives of others? What are we doing to invest in the work of Christ? The level of our investment is a reflection of the level of our faith. These men made big investments because they knew Jesus could do something. What do we believe about Jesus? Are we willing to invest in the lives of others? It will always, always pay off because Jesus can do something with our investment. As we stand and sing. Number 139. <laughs>